day. We talk today and continue our series on the five words that will change your life. And today we talk about probably in my mind and maybe in yours, the toughest word that we have to talk about. Because uh, we talk about no, which can, for some of us, it's hard because we're people pleasers and we want to always say yes. And so it's hard for us to say no. Um, but then there's others of us that it's really easy to say yes, and some of us are harder, right? Then we move on to, the, we moved into that word no, uh, help, and then we have this next word, which is today, which is sorry. And some of us have a really hard, excruciating, difficult time with saying sorry, uh, I know I mess up all the time, and I, I'm reminded, uh, we, I was talking to the girls, uh, our two girls, yesterday as we were driving around, I said, hey, when is the time that I had to say sorry? And one of them in the car, I won't say which one it was, lit up right away, had all kinds of stories. <laughs> and uh, she reminded me of last Sunday. Um, I always watch what everybody's wearing when they come out of the house, especially our children, and just because you just never know, right? And she came out with these shoes on. And I am definitely not a fashionista like many other people. I just recognize some things. And I, in my head, this is what I said. What in the world are you wearing those to church, right? And I'm like, okay, here's Mr. Insensitive, rude person right there. And I, I'm already messing up in my head. So then I step back for a second. And I'm, I said, I can't say that because that's mean. It's insensitive. I don't even know what she's been going through this morning. So I said, um, I'm wondering what reason you're wearing your house slippers to church, right? And it's like, that was a mistake right there. You can ask my wife, like, boom. And I saw the facial expression, like, oh, you're so mean. You're so hurtful. I already asked if I could share the story. So she said that, but I won't say her name. And I, she turns around instantly, and I'm like, oh, man, what did I just do? Like, right, you know, and your dad, some of you ladies in here, your dads did that to you. And you're like, oh, I just crushed her. And I'm like, these are house slippers. She's like, and my wife looks at me, they're not house slippers. They're a girl's fashion sandals, and they just look like that. And I'm like, oh, great. So I even, even we like, finally we get everybody in the car. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You can put those shoes on. Please forgive me. Nothing I was doing in that moment helped, but I will say we repaired it. She did wear them last week, so that was a blessing. It was good, right? So, uh, and then I, another time where something sorry, something someone had to say sorry to me, we were really interesting. I just spoke at a graduation service at this high school, and the principal and everyone, we're going out to eat. We have both of our families. We're close friends. We go to Texas Longhorn to go eat. I had to go to the restroom. Go to the restroom, and they had put my drink order in for me. I come in, I sit down, and my shoe is untied. So I decide to tie my shoe. At the same time, the waitress comes over, stops with a load of drinks. And the drinks go over her little thing that she's holding and onto my head. I'm in a suit with a tie, and everything is like whoosh, all over on top of me. I'm soaked. I'm just there, and I'm like, oh, and instantaneously, I'm so sorry, right? Well, I didn't add insult to injury. She ends up taking off. The manager comes out. She comes out. I say, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's going to be all right. And uh, they're like, we're going to pay for your meal, right? And so that was their sorry. And so today when we talk about sorry, maybe you're a little bit like Madonna. She sang the song, Sorry. Here's some of the words that she said in that song. It's, I don't want to hear. I don't want to know. Please don't say you're sorry. I've heard it all before. And I can take care of myself. I don't want to hear and I don't want to know. Please don't say forgive me. I've seen it all before and I can't take it anymore. And I can imagine with a group like this, 
in all the experiences that you've had in your life, you may say that right there. I don't want anyone else saying sorry to me because I've heard it enough. And I haven't seen them follow through. Today, what we want to do is we want to expose from the Bible what it says for us, how you and I can use sorry as a setup for an apology. How it helps us move from not just this one word, but leads through to an apology. Because we all mess up. We've all experienced other people messing up in our life. And there are even in our lives as people, there are songs all over our radio about sorry. I think of Adele. She sang, sings Hello, Chicago, if you remember that group. Hard to say I'm sorry. Elton John, sorry seems to be the hardest words to say. And then there's Brian Adams that says, please forgive me. Then this one group, Player, they sing this perfect song. Some of you already know, because I can see your faces, Baby Come Back, right? And um, then there's Willie Nelson's classic, 1982, You're Always On My Mind. Why? Because we mess up. And in his song, if you read the lyrics, we, we just mess up as human beings. And today's message is all about you and I getting right with other people. It's not directly about you and I getting right with God, which we'll talk about that, because if I have a problem with saying sorry to you, a sorry that sets me up for an apology, I have some major issues between God and I. And so God's giving us these instructions to help us to understand, hey, look, we have to have these human relationships right. These things that are broken and messed up need to be corrected and molded together. And I'm going to read some verses. So let me just, before we go into the verses about why is the sorry so important, here's some of the illustrations. It's about me and you having the right relationships. It's about you and your spouse having the right relationships. It's about moms and dads with their children, their ch children with their parents, the teenagers and students with their teachers. It's about us with our older people or authority figures or our neighbors or whoever else it is. That's what this is all about, a horizontal relationship between human to human. And it's a setup for an apology. So let me give you four reasons that God says that this is highly important for you and I. He sees it as you and I must have right relationships between one another. Here's our, our passage that he, um, is, we're going to use. We're going to look at two main passages throughout the day. The first one is by this guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, but he was a disciple, and he followed Jesus and learned about who God was through Jesus. And Jesus transformed his life. And he writes this book, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, 23 and verse 24. And we're going to look at it in just a second because he gives us this illustration, God sees it so important that you and I have relationships that are right with one another. God sees it so important that actually in this passage, Jesus is teaching all the people that are following him, and this is called the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, look, here's how important it is. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 23 and 24. We'll come up. Here's our first one. Having a problem or broken relationship with people is a big deal to God. Here's what he says. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Here's what he says. He's saying this, God created human beings to worship him and him only. 
We find that in the book of Genesis. We also find it with Moses. He went up onto this uh, mountain and writes these 10 commandments given to us by God. The first three commandments are what? Worship only God, and that's the only God you're ever to worship. We were created to only worship God. Matthew, this person that's following Jesus around, writes this in his book to us, and he says, if you realize that you and someone else have a problem, stop, time out. The very reason that God created you as a human being is to be worshiping God, but here's what God wants you to do. Stop that worship and go and get right with that person. Don't even continue singing. Don't even continue praising. Don't leave anything there. Go get right. So here's the second reason as we look at Matthew 25, 23 through 24. Ignoring the problem hinders my worship with God. As we look through there in verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here's what God wants you to do. He's like, stop it all because it's messing everything up between you and I. The wisest man in all the world that ever lived is Solomon. He writes this book of Ecclesiastes, and he's telling his story, and he gets to the end of Ecclesiastes, and this is what he says, there is only one reason for human beings to ever be doing anything, and here's the only thing to be doing as a human being, worshiping God and following his commandments. And God says, as he's standing there, Jesus in the flesh says, stop it all and go get right. God's really serious about us having right relationships with one another and about making it right. So then here's the next one as we continue in here. Matthew continues telling us, God calls us to resolve issues quickly. Matthew 5, verse 25 says this, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court with him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. God is so serious about us having correct relationships. But you know, I I know what we all want to do. Hey, it's not my fault you feel that way. Hey, it's not this. Hey, that's your problem. That's not mine. God's like, whoa, whoa, time out. God calls us all to have right relationships between one another, no matter what's going on. We're going to talk about that with another person who was a tax collector. Here's the last reason why it's so important. In Romans chapter 12, Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, do all that is within you to have right relationships with one another. That's Romans chapter 12, 18. He says this, Steve, it's your responsibility to do everything you can to make the relationship right between, one, uh, between other people. Your job is to do that. God is really serious about us having right relationships between us. Do you know why? If you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, God says in Matthew chapter 5, that tax collector guy that we just talked about, he says this, you are a light of the world. You're on top of this hill shining, saying, hey, this is what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if people look at us and they're like, what? Man, you can't even have right relationships between you. Why do I need this Jesus who you say is so awesome? And so we come to the place to move from why 
into how do we do this? How do we have these right relationships? Because you and I as human beings, our natural desire is to cover it up, to keep things buried, to make it undershadowed. And God says, whoa, time out. It's an investigation. It's an uncovering. It's a time to get things right between you and human beings. And so this doctor named Luke writes a book of our Bible. And he writes it down. He says, hey, I want to tell you about someone else. You see, Matthew is a tax collector. And Dr. Luke says, hey, I want to tell you about this guy. He's also a tax collector. And you find his story in Luke chapter 19, verse number 1. And here's how it goes. He begins to tell the story about a guy who was really messed up. But he's empty and hurting and he has broken relationships. And he says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. To you and I, we're like, chief tax collector, oh, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Tax collectors, number one, were excluded from everybody else. Nobody wanted to be around them. They ripped people off. They stole money. They made life hard on you. They weren't a representation of Jesus. Then when Dr. Luke says this, not only was he a tax collector, because everybody knows Luke when he says, hey, he's a tax collector. Whoa, that dude's got tons of money. Whoa, he's got tons of power. Whoa, he's got a huge position in this society. And then Luke says, not only all that, he was rich, meaning that he had wealth upon wealth. Everyone around knew that he had tons of money and power to do whatever he wanted to do. So then Jesus says, and he was seeking, Zacchaeus was seeking to who Jesus was. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus is like, whoa, I got to find somebody. Because you know what? Power, position, wealth, popularity, it has left a deep, empty hole inside me. And I have to find out something more. So he comes down here. So he, because he was, uh, he says, but on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was so small in stature. See, he had these big positions, but he was really little as a man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Think about that. Here's the, uh, the wealthiest guy in the area, the most powerful person in the area, who had probably abused lots of different people. And what does he do? He goes running and climbs up into a tree. Now, that is a really odd sight. Who normally climbs a tree? Children. Not wealthy, popular, position-oriented people. And so here he goes up into a tree. And when he came to this place, when Jesus came to this place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. First of all, how did Jesus know who Zacchaeus was? The reason? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. And he looks up in the tree and he says, I know you're hurting. I know you need help. I know you're looking for a solution to the problems that you have in your life. I'm your answer. The first time and only time in all of the time that Jesus was here on earth that we know of that he invited himself to someone else's house was right here with Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. Zacchaeus like jumps down out of the tree, comes, all right, Jesus, let's go. And look what happens down here, just like all human beings. So he hurried, he came down, received him joyfully, verse number seven, and they, the crowd, saw it, and what do they do? Well, if you read ahead, you already know. But what's the tendency of everybody? The tendency is this. They all grumbled. 
He, Jesus, has gone to be a guest of the man who is such a sinner, such a bad person. Between verse number 7 and verse number 8, a miracle transformation happens between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Jesus, they're at this house, they're laying back. The customs were to sit back, lay back, and look at each other and talk around this table. Probably a bunch of people that knew who Jesus was, his disciples, and a whole bunch of people that were in high positions, as well as Zacchaeus' family, are laying back at this table and listening to Jesus and Zacchaeus talk. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus realizes, whoa, you are the answer to the empty hole inside of me. I have sinned. I've messed up. I need to make it right. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Transformation takes place. Dr. Luke says this. He's just like, hey, look, we're going to skip this part that's called the gospel about coming to know Jesus as Savior. We're going to get that in a minute, but I want to show you when transformation takes place in the heart of someone and they begin to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to show you how to move to a true apology, a true forgiveness, because sorry is the setup for an apology. And here's what he does. He gives us our outline of how to make an apology happen. Number one, look down here in verse number eight. In Zacchaeus stood. To you and I were like, stood, I stand all day at my job, I walk around, but this word is really, really specific for you and I. It literally means that he was laying back, because in the customs, you would lay back at your table and you would recline to eat. Everybody else in the whole room is sitting, and Jesus is probably to Zacchaeus's right, Zacchaeus stands up and he makes, the whole word here is a specific word chosen by Dr. Luke to, to reveal to you and I what's happening. It says, he stands in an attitude of worship through prayer to Jesus. That word, when we talk about standing in an attitude of prayer, said three specific things. Number one, I'm right with Jesus. So when he stands, the first words, the first letter of sorry is this, start with sorry. He is standing in a declaration saying, I am sorry. It was the setup for the rest of the apology. He's saying this, I'm right with Jesus. Number two, I'm ready for the battle that's going to take place. You all know, right, when we mess up, when we do say hurtful things. We, we got to get ready for a battle. Think about Zacchaeus. He had ripped people off year after year after year. He had people ripping people off for him year after year after year. He had built his wealth by ripping people off. He had to get ready for the battle. So when we're ready to say sorry, we just say, hey man, I'm ready for the battle. I'm right with Jesus now. I see that I'm wrong. I'm ready for this battle. And then here's the next one. He was ready to serve See, we go back to Matthew, the tax collector, and here's the amazing part of Scripture. When we look at Matthew and we look at Zacchaeus, a tax collector that got right with Jesus and following Jesus, now a story from Dr. Luke telling us about a tax collector who gets right with Jesus, and he's like, man, I'm standing in an attitude of worship and prayer because I know all my past stopped me from being able to worship Jesus Christ. And so now I can worship and serve him in the way that God created me to as his creation, and I'm ready for the battle. See, when we start with sorry, we get ready for that battle because we're ready to serve God in the way that he's called us to. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Matthew writes this amazing story, that tax collector guy that we talked about a minute ago. In the book of Matthew, he starts telling us this story between 
Herod, and he marries Herodias, who is his uh, sister-in-law. They now have this stepdaughter. Herod is having this giant party. He has put this man named John the Baptist in jail. And he puts John the Baptist in jail. His um, stepdaughter comes out, does this dance in front of everybody. He's like, whoa, this dance was so amazing, so great. Here's what we're going to do. Whatever you ask for, and even if it's half my kingdom, I'm going to give it to you. She runs to her mom. Says, hey, mom, what do I ask for? She whispers in her ear. Great job, daughter. You're amazing. I'm going to get everything that I hope for. She runs back. This is what I want, King Herod, my stepdad. I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. In an instant, Matthew writes this, the very same words that we're talking about right here. He says out loud, I am so sorry that I said that. But you know what? That's all he does. He doesn't go for the rest of the setup for the apology. He stops it right there. It means to have deep remorse and sorrow When we talk about this, Zacchaeus, this tax collector, moves forward. He's not just saying sorry and to let it all go. He goes this. Here's the second one for you and I. We need to start with sorry. Number two, own it. Look at these words down here. And says to the Lord, in verse number eight, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods, I give to the poor. We keep going. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, if I need to restore it fourfold. He totally owns every little bit of everything that he's done. He's not looking to blame anybody else. He's not looking to accuse. He's not saying, hey, look at my past, how hard it was, how difficult it was. You've caused these problems. You got mad at me. You know what he does? He says, hey, hey, hold on. I take total responsibility for my actions, my words, everything I've done. He stands up with sorry I'm sorry. I totally own this thing. I accept all responsibility. Here's what Gary Chapman in his five uh, languages of apology says. He says these words, I agree in this, that I have the right to feel hurt, angry, disappointed, frustrated, or whatever else I may be feeling because of what happened. I disagree that I have the right to act or hurt you in any way because of my feelings. See, God here, even with Zacchaeus, he's not removing Zacchaeus' past and how he felt rejected and how because of his rejection, he hurt more and more people. He's not saying you, didn't, you felt hurt. Everyone in this room, you have felt hurt before. You have been mistreated. People have said things about you that are wrong. But my actions are what's most important towards the situation. I must start with sorry, own it. And here's the third one. I must reveal it. Look at what he does. He doesn't just own it. He reveals what he does. It says, and he said to the Lord, behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded, the word if, he's not saying, hey, I'm sorry if I hurt you. The word if here, there's not a great other translatable word from Greek into English, and he's saying this, as we look through all of the books of all of the money, or if anybody comes to me and says anything about any of the things that I've done, and they say, I took more than I have ever was supposed to give, 
I am, and this word defrauded, I am a thief. He owns it. I was talking to um, someone this week. We were driving in the car. It was a teenager. And we were talking about some situations that came up. A really funny story, right? They're sitting in, they're talking about their family life and some things that were happening. And they said, one of the things that really gets under our skin in our family is this. Someone never flushes the toilet when they leave the bathroom, right? It caused problems. Here's what we do. We go and say this is a minor problem between what can happen, right? But the person just say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I did not flush the toilet before I left the bathroom. I own it. I totally own it. That's what he's doing. I totally own I'm a thief. Call it out. Name it. Let everyone know what you've done. Then here's the next one. Not only do I reveal it, but I write my way. S, say that I'm sorry. O, I own it. R, reveal what I've done. R is I'm going to write the way. Look what he says. Have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. To you and I, we're like, woo, good job. To everybody sitting in that room, remember, Jesus and everyone else is sitting in that room. Everyone in that room at this moment is like, you could hear a pin drop. The law said this, you only needed to return a fifth if this is what you've done. You know what Zacchaeus does? I'm not returning a fifth. That means, and, and I know we all know math, but I just want to put it in a real perspective. If you took a dollar, you owed a dollar twenty. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay it back four times. If I took a dollar, I'm going to give you four dollars back. If I took a pig, I'm giving you four pigs to fix this. God made a complete transformation. I'm no longer a thief, but now I'm a donor. I no longer take, but I give back to everyone. See, here's what happens in Ephesians chapter 4. The guy we talked about before, Paul, who wrote, writes most of the New Testament, he writes this in Ephesians chapter 4. How do you stop a thief from being a thief? When does a thief stop being a thief? It's not when he stops taking things. And Zacchaeus realizes this. It's not when he just says, okay, I'm not going to take anything anymore. No, no, no. A thief stops becoming a thief when he works with his hands and gives back to everyone around. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. It's, I am going to donate out of the goodness of my heart to help others, to build them up, to help them to follow after Jesus Christ. That's what a sorry leads to an apology. It's a whole setup to reveal Jesus living in and through us so that more people can see the transformational power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I say sorry, right? I start with sorry. Now I own it. I am totally, man, I own this thing. I don't, you might have done hurt, but I'm not going to blame you. I'm owning all of me. Then I reveal what I did. I'm going to write my way. Every single person here and around the world. This would be a great thing if I wanted to stand in front of whatever news group and say, hey, here's how you say sorry. Everyone in the world can do one through four. But here's what Jesus says. That's not why I came. Jesus did not come and give us this passage of scripture through Dr. Luke so you and I could have a way to an apology. He came us for this last one. The letter Y is this yield to Jesus. Look what he says in verse number nine. And Jesus says to him in that very moment, imagine Jesus is laying back. Everybody's around. He's dead silent. Holy smokes. Something hit Zacchaeus on the head. Today, salvation has come to this house. 
since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came for this reason, not just to make people say an apology, but to seek and to save those who are lost. Total transformation. Why do you and I do this? To yield to Jesus. That's why it's so important that you and I understand what Matthew, the tax collector, gave us in the beginning of our message. When you and I have a broken relationship, no more power is flowing this way through you if you have a broken relationship through any, through, because you're not getting right with people. God says, put your life on hold and go get it right. Make it right between you and someone else. Maybe today, there's, there's two responses for all of us, and maybe you're one of these two people. You've come here because you're like Zacchaeus. You're searching for someone. You're empty, you're hurting, you're seeking, you're trying to find the answer to the empty hole inside of you. Yield to Jesus like Zacchaeus did. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your home. Say, Jesus, I have sinned, I've messed up this way. I admit that. I believe that you are the one that died on a cross for me, and I confess my sins to you, and I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Do that right now. There's a second group. You're not sure. You're running around because you've got broken relationships with people, because of things you've said, the way you've acted, your interpretations of your mind, the way you view other people taking things from different vantage points, and Jesus is saying to you, hey, look, start looking at people through my eyes. Start looking at them as one of my creations that I created them to be and to be part of you in life. And you need to go to them and say, hey, you know what? Let me start with something. I'm sorry. Get ready for the battle, right? Because it's going to be a battle. You already know that. I know that. Own it. Reveal what it was you did. It doesn't matter what they did. Yes, it hurts, but you're not to react. I'm not to react to that. Then do what? Right the way. Because of this, followers of Jesus Christ yield to Jesus. In 1986, two ships were in the Black Sea. The icy waters, they were flowing through the icy waters. Back and forth, they kept saying, please move out of my way. No, you move out of my way. They went back and forth until eventually both ships collided. Hundreds and hundreds of people died. The worst thing that the news said, the, the hardest thing that the news uh, reporter said to report about this was this one thing. There was no technological problems. There was no mechanical malfunctions. There wasn't even fog that caused a problem between these two people. They said the most tragic thing was this human stubbornness to right the way between other people. The most tragic thing that you and I can do in the eyes of God is this. To not yield to Jesus, say we're sorry, not own our responsibility, not reveal what we've done, and then not right the way with other people. God doesn't even want us coming to worship services if we can't do that. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for these two tax collectors that had a transformational moment with you that revealed to us how to get relationships right and why it's so important. Lord, we ask you to help us to make those bold first steps and stand up and say sorry. In Jesus' name.